Before we get into this, all the subject matter of the day, I figure I need to make a general announcement. Uh, many of you know um, our son Scott got engaged over Thanksgiving and uh, was planning on getting married April 22nd, or 12th, I think it was, which is Easter Sunday, and he was going to get married in Kentucky. Um, in case you haven't been on Facebook, um, things got uh, rearranged a little bit, and his plans changed because he is in the military, and so is his fiance, and she's in college, and there's all difficulties scheduling and doing things like that. Suffice it to say, he is now married. And some of you may not have known that. Uh, about two weeks before the 27th, yes, um, the 27th, he just called and said, oh, by the way, the military can't guarantee time off, and this probably won't work, and we have no certainty. What about December 27th? Um, and I said, no, Scotty, I'm on vacation. I can't do that. Uh, actually, that's my birthday. <laughs> So not only has it been buried by Jesus, and I'm okay with that, uh, now it's been buried by Scotty, and it's his anniversary, so I, you know, I don't even have a birthday anymore, so I'm stuck at 58, but we rejoiced. We had a wonderful time. Uh, it, it was great. Everyone got dressed up for my birthday. Um, we, we really had a good time of fellowship. So in case you didn't know, uh, Scotty is now married to Victoria, and um, you'll meet her at some point when they get to be up here, but... Uh, in and out, a couple days, and uh, they actually had a two-day honeymoon at Dale and Carol's house, because they were away. <laughs> Could just let you know. <laughs> Having said all that, <laughs> let's try to do something without um, me losing it up here. Um, spiritual disciplines. Uh, we, for a long time now, have been on a track, and if you're new with us, we were for a long time, and probably not long enough, about the grace of God, God's grace. And then seeing that grace is the thing that God does to gift himself to us. That is grace. He does it all the time. Anything good that happens in my life, if it doesn't happen by grace, it's self. It's self that does it. And in God's grace, he has given us certain disciplines to bring our hearts before his throne to learn his grace, to receive his grace. And as we've been looking at the spiritual disciplines, they're not things that gain righteousness, make us better Christians so God likes us better. It's not like giving an apple to the teacher um, or at least a box of cookies or something that, that they would really want. I mean, giving them something and saying, ah, oh, I'm a good student, you know, look, look at me. That's not what they're for. They humbly bring us before the presence of God. And we've looked at disciplines of abstinence, those things that were designed to disentangle our hearts from this world, from our flesh, things that would grab us and hold us and keep us from engaging into the things of God. So today kind of marks a change going from the disciplines of abstinence to those things now that our heart is freed, assuming we're participating in those, to engage in the things that God desires for us. Now, we looked at two weeks ago, um, kind of a, an interim in between those two things, to realize that, that the disciplines, the spiritual disciplines, are there to increase or keep us in a place of wonderment before God, that we don't lose the 
awe of who he is. So that at one point we accept Christ and things are wonderful and then we just kind of lose track. We take it for granted. It doesn't seem that big of a deal. These disciplines are there to keep the grace of God fresh to keep him alive before us. And in your notes, you'll see some of the things that are there, but we looked at a couple things like childlike wonderment has, uh, that, that wonder that children have, and it begins with a stable trust in God. He is always good, he is always right, even though life stinks, or it can stink. He is not defined by your circumstances or mine. He is not defined by the hurts that this world or the devil gives us. He is good, he is righteous, he is holy, and he is always for us. That's stable. That is a trust that doesn't find my faith shipwrecked because of what has happened in my life. He is a good God. And those things that have shipwrecked our hearts, he says, I will redeem them. That is a promise. If you love me and, and follow me, I can take everything that has ever happened in your life and cultivate it into good, to his glory, and for our own good. That's a stable trust. And also, a heart of praise. And we listed a whole bunch of things that, that are true of a wondering heart, a praising heart. One that has not lost the glory of the Lord within us. Has not lost that excitement that began the joy of our salvation. Something that's fresh and real. So as we've gone through all that, today we make the jump. And we're going to be looking at the disciplines of engagement. And particularly, the list will be there. These are the practices which enable our now disentangled souls to, to participate in the life and activities of the kingdom of heaven. I doubt very many of us sprung out of bed this morning and said, let's go, Lord, I'm going to go participate in the activities of the kingdom of heaven. No, we probably like, don't talk to me. <laughs> Where's the coffee? You know, those, we, we wake up and it seems mundane sometimes. But to realize that every morning for the child of God, when we awake, we are participants in his kingdom. That is truth. That is what he has done. So these disciplines that we're going to cover over the next weeks are gifts that God has given to, to take our souls that have been disentangled, hopefully, from those things that would bind us and engage us in kingdom business, to bring us into a place to, to be cooperative with him and engaged in his purposes. That's what these are. These are the disciplines of engagement. And just a couple thoughts about those before we talk about the study of the word of God. The disciplines engagement, one principle is they're designed to reconnect us with God and the kingdom of the heavens. We have been disconnected. Many people in life go through life looking for purpose. Why am I here? What is success? What is significance? The scriptures tell us why we have that quest, why our hearts desire those things, because they've been ripped away through sin, and that we need to be reconnected with God if our heart will ever be satisfied. And you see, the world is full of things that lie to us all the time. And saying, here's how you get connected and your heart will be full. And we charge after those things, only to find out they're dust. They leave a bitter taste. And because we're humans and we're so smart, we go back and pursue something other than God. And we pursue other things that are empty, never coming to him in faith. But when we do that, 
and, and we practice these disciplines. They're designed to reconnect that which was disconnected. Secondly, they, abstinence and engagement are the outbreathing and inbreathing of our spiritual lives. They are necessities. I'd like to do a test for about five minutes right now. Everybody stop breathing. Okay, we're going to see who wins. Um, it doesn't last. Breath is vital. It's not an option. You want life, you breathe. You want spiritual life. You want what God has for you. John Ortberg has a book about the spiritual disciplines, and it's called The Life You Always Wanted. That, that fulfillment, that satisfaction that comes inside, it comes when we practice these disciplines. I choose not to. I don't do them. I will shrivel. I will not experience what God has designed and desires for me. To look at them in another way, generally, abstinence chokes back the sins of commission. Those things that I go out and do, they're designed to say no to the flesh. This, the disciplines of engagement, on the other hand, they deal with sins of omission. Have you ever heard anyone ever say, you know, I just pray too much? You ever said that? I, I've just spent too much time reading the Word of God. I spent too much time caring for people and loving them. You know, these are things that we sometimes find it hard to do or easy to forget or something we get so busy with our own little kingdoms, we don't do them. So these sins of, or sins, these disciplines of engagement are designed to, to get us to do the things that in natural life, we may not do. In self-reliance, we may not do these things. And they're designed to, to get us into those sort of things. And a final principle is, as solitude is the primary discipline of abstinence, in quietness, my heart before the Lord. So study, which we're going to look at today, forms the basis for engagement. When we look at worship and we look at sacrifice and service and all these other things, what we're going to talk about today in the place of the Word of God, that is foundational. That the study and understanding and application of the Word of God underscores everything in the believer's life. If the Bible is not in its proper place in my heart, I will have problems everywhere. I will have relational issues. I will have personal issues of, of, of drying up on the inside and not feeling satisfied. If the scriptures aren't there, I will be captive to the, the flow of life. And as the, as the storms come, they, they will beat me down and I will become discouraged. It's the word of God that enables us to become stable. It is that anchor of our soul. So as we talk about study of the scripture, one verse that comes to mind, 2 Timothy, many of us probably know it, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth, the scriptures. How many of you have a DVD, Blu-ray player, or VCR? If you have a VCR, you know, you're really cool. Uh, that's just old school. You've got one of those. Now, could you imagine if you had it in your home and you set it there, plugged it in, and never turned it on? Just had it. Well, why don't you use it? Somebody would come over and say, why don't, well, I don't understand it. I don't know anything about it, but I have one. 
Sadly, that's the place of the Bible in many people's lives. And the obvious answer that someone would give is, well, why don't you learn how to turn it on? Learn how to use it, to understand it. It's too much work. But, but you bought it. Use it. But for many, the Bible is dark. It's shrouded with misunderstanding. It's viewed in such a weird way in our hearts and deep heart and mind that we're not even compelled or desire to plumb the depths of it. We don't want to go and learn. We would rather have someone else talk about it and maybe sing about it but for me personally, to dig into the word of God, for many of us, it's one of those sins of omission. Yeah, it's a good idea, and I know I should do it. And we feel duty-bound, but we still fall short. And that the word of God is something that we know is good, we admire it, but we don't immerse in it. We don't let it do the work that God has for us. So as we talk about study and we talk about the Bible, we want to kind of bring definition to those so we understand what we're talking about and then get to the place where hopefully we can change our attitude towards the Word of God if our attitude does indeed need to be changed. And for many of us, it does. The first thing, study. We're going to use as a definition, study is engaging our minds with the objective Word of God to take that order or the things that are in the scripture into ourselves, enabling us to be in sync with reality in a way that is good for us and others. So there's a couple things that I just kind of want to mention there, and you can let that definition uh, kind of percolate in your minds a little bit. It's the objective word of God. So as the Bible is given, it means something. It doesn't mean one thing to one person and one thing to somebody else. It has a meaning, just like words do. Uh, there's a study involved to get to that meaning. And I, I've been in places before where there's a Bible study and somebody will open it and say, well, what this verse means to me is, and then somebody else stands up and says, well, really? What that verse means to me is, well, you know what? I don't care what it means to you. No, no, I don't mean that meanly. But in, honestly, what does the Bible mean to God? What did he intend for it to say. It's not a free-for-all for biblical interpretation. Now, there's going to be some areas where people may agree and disagree, and there's a couple nuances, but when it comes to the cardinals of the faith, when the things the Scripture speaks so plainly about, there, there's no room for wiggling. It's not what it means to you. It's what does the Bible mean? And we're going to talk in, in next week a little bit more about some of the actual principles used to discern the meaning of the scriptures but it's the objective word of God uh, that that I study it not like I study anything else how many you study like cram before an exam and then about a an hour afterwards forgot everything come on be honest that's just a typical way students work you know you don't you, you can't go back to your history class most of you unless you're a real geek and give me all the dates that you memorized and and all those things because you studied it to get by to spit it out and regurgitate it that's not the study of scripture study of scripture is saying i am learning and diving into this so that i can bring what it is into my heart so that it can change me so i I then can become 
in sync with the world around me, in harmony with it, so that it makes sense. I can, I can go through life in a good way, a connected way with the king of the universe that gives me purpose, that gives me meaning to everything that happens. That is the purpose of study. Now, when we come to the Bible, we have a definition for Bible. And it's interesting if you look at some of the definitions that are out there, they are less than compelling. One calls it a collection of ancient writings. Does that sound exciting? Do you want to get up in the morning and dive into your collection of ancient writings? Oh, yes! Joy! I can't wait. That's the definition. A collection of 66 books written by various authors over a great period of time. Anybody still excited? Like, yeah, I can't wait. You see, many people in our world, the definition of Bible is so obscure, so mundane, that there's nothing exciting about it. There's nothing attractive about it. So I was Googling out there some other definitions of the Bible, and I'm like, these just don't cut it. These are academic. These are just explanatory. There's nothing dynamic about any of these definitions. So I tried one, and you may have a better one, but for me, it's the eternal, infinite, all-powerful, all-knowing, and otherwise unknowable God choosing to make himself known and knowable. And that's huge. Through the instrument of human language. That is your Bible. It is the king of eternity, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of all things, without which, his, without his revelation, without his Bible, I would know very little or nothing about him. It's him sharing his glory and inviting us into it to understand the world we live in. For without it, I will not know him. I will not know peace. I will not know joy. I will not know why I'm even here. It is the, the gateway into eternity, the glories of heaven. It's all that God is shining upon us. And it's his choice to make it known. Anybody here keep secrets? Isn't there a little devilish thing about keeping a secret and someone else, and you know it, and they don't? And you lord it over them a little bit and say, I know something you don't know. And some of us love to be the first to know the big story. And you got it, you know. God's not like that. He's not in heaven saying, I really don't want to tell you guys who I am. I, I don't want you to know. I'm going to keep you guessing. I'm going to keep you wondering. And I'm going to make it so that, that I'm going to create a bunch of other religions too. So I'm even harder to find. That's all man stuff. God is like, you know what? I will clearly tell you who I am. I will give it to you very, very clear in my word. This is the eternal, unknowable God saying, get to know me. You want to know anything that you need to know in this life? I am revealing it to you because you by yourself will never know God. You will never understand. Now, people everywhere, philosophers they're called, come up with all these little ways of knowing how to be known and what could be known and what is reality. And it's God's like, oh my goodness, 
Can you just read what I've told you? Can you see the story of reality? Gregory Kukul has a book called The Story of Reality, and I love it. It's a beautiful explanation that, that Christianity is the most credible explanation that makes the most sense out of the world the way it is. And you read through it, and you don't, if you know someone that's kind of teetering in their faith, and they're not really sure, and you can't use the normal, uh, you know, the Bible tells me so kind of stuff, because they're not even sure about the Bible, give them that book. It's a great book, not full of Christian jargon, but it takes the whole story of Scripture and plugs it into reality. And it says, this book meets needs today. It explains things that make sense. It is the ever-living Word of God. A couple key words that come into that when we speak about the Bible. It's called revelation. It's the revealing of what would never be known if it weren't shown to us. The Bible is the revelation of God, the revelation of his son, the revelation of his plan, of his eternality, of his love, his mercy and grace. It's all there. Now, if that doesn't start to whet your appetite to find out about the scriptures, um, I don't think you're alive. All of us want to be connected with reality. We want to have a heart that's filled. But the problem comes in, we don't have a trust or put the Bible in the place that it belongs. It's called inspiration in Scripture. Literally in Greek, it means God breathed. That the Scriptures that we have are the very breath of God. Now, he used humans in writing it, and over great periods of time and different uh, educational backgrounds, and that's a whole study in itself that gives credibility to the fact that it's the Word of God. But in doing that, he guided their hearts and minds without ignoring their personalities and styles to guarantee that in the original writings, exactly what he wanted recorded was recorded. And it's also preserved for us so that we can with confidence know today that the Bibles we're reading come from manuscripts that were authoritative, inspired by God, and that's another whole science, to study that and see how reliable it is. In fact, there's more reliability for the scriptures than any other piece of ancient history. There's more volumes of it more. So if you believe that you can learn anything from history of the past, then you can have reliability in the Bible because there's more proof, there's more reliability in the scriptures than any other historical fact that exists. The Bible is God-breathed, and it's a book that is alive, that he dwells within the pages of it. There's a doctrine called illumination, and in that, that means that God, through his spirit, helps us to understand the revelation that he gave. You don't get that with every book that you read. God isn't going to tell you if you're going to be reading some of the Chronicles of Narnia, which is a great book, or the Lord of the Rings, which I've heard is a great book. Uh, you know, that, that, that he doesn't, they don't come with their personal Holy Spirits and God saying, here I am, I will apply it to your truth. I will help this to change. Now, we might get inspiration from them, but they not, they're not the inspired word of God. He dwells within his word to change people's hearts and lives. Now, if I understand the Bible in that fashion, 
it brings some clarity to certain things that are very unclear in the world, of, world around us. If this is true and it's God revealing himself, there's a couple things that seem reasonable if it is in truth the eternal God making himself known. One of those things is its exclusivity claims. I was so afraid I couldn't say that word. It, what do I mean by that? The Bible says one way to God. Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Other religions are false. Christianity is true. Jesus is the way. Now, that's a popular message in the world today, right? Have you ever come across people and say, yes, I love the fact that the Bible claims it's the only truth and it's the only way. That just makes so much sense to me. No. Our world today says, are you kidding me? How can there only be one way? You arrogant people, you. You think you're better than everyone else, that you've got the truth and they don't? How can you, what authority can you have to say that they're wrong? And they become agnostic or atheistic, saying with all these claims to truth, let's just say they're all equal. Now, some of them totally disagree with each other, so that's just logical fallacy. They can't all be right, especially if the main one says it's the only way. It can't be a free-for-all. It can't be something that just anybody can, can believe in and, and determine what they want. And I'd like you to think of it this way, especially if it's an eternal God giving his eternal word in space and time. If he's done that, I'd liken it to something like this. Let's just suppose for a minute you are terminally ill, which we all are. Um, we all have something that's going to kill us. It's called life. Uh, we eventually will die. But you're terminally ill, and you have a disease that is slated to take you out much sooner than you anticipated. You receive an invitation to an unknown location to get a free cure. Okay? It's free. Here's the invitation. Now, what will you want to do? How do I get there? Are there directions? Is there a way to go? So the giver of this free cure in the invitation, uh, it reads clearly in the invitation that all roads, except for one, are impassable and will lead to becoming hopelessly lost if you follow them. So the invitation to the cure clearly states all roads are washed out or you will get hopelessly lost unless you stick to my invitation. You stick to the instructions that I had given you. You're told to meticulously follow the directions and only the directions, not the car ahead of you or the competitors who are charging for their cure. That really doesn't work. That, and, and that you have your own set of directions and you follow them. Now, is that unreasonable? Is that illogical? Is that unloving to be exclusive and warn everybody that to have the proper cure that's be for free, you come the way I invite you? That is the scriptures. When it's God who's speaking and revealing an exclusivity claim, kind of makes sense because he's the one inviting you into his eternity. And he's saying, here is how you connect with me there is but one way, and why would you even question the fact when I've told you clearly how that happens? If the Bible truly is the revelation of God, his directions are the ones that we need to yield to. The second thing 
its absolute truth claims all of a sudden become reasonable. Now, in our world today, absolute truth is another thing just loved by everyone. They love the term sin, and they want to be holy and righteous. No, not at all. And if you live in the world, and I see many grins out there, and in your world, you see it all the time. Truth is relative. Don't impose your truth on my truth. In fact, truth is whatever I need it to be. And you can go out, and we've had videos before about uh, some of the amazing answers that you get from people. But if God exists, and he is eternal, and he has made himself known in space and time in a written word, it only follows. It only makes sense that what he claims is absolute. It is true. It is non-negotiable. Uh, when I was a kid, we used to like play tag and hide and seek. And, and you used to put your doggies in. You ever do that? And they want to see who's going to be it. And you put, or your potatoes, they would be called. Well, somebody, never ever do that. Come on, you know, my mother and your mother were hanging out clothes. You know that one? I got to tell everybody. Oh, mine anyway. anyway, everyone wanted to be the one that ran that little game to see who would be it. And somebody would yell, ace, queen, king, doggy, sayer, no higher. I'm really out of this, aren't I? Anyway, <laughs> that meant that you were the one in charge and that you were the ace, queen, king, doggy, sayer. And when everybody put their doggies in to, to be eliminated from being chosen, then that's the way it was because the ace, queen, king, doggy, sayer had spoken. If God is eternal, I, there's a worst illustration ever. <laughs> anyway, it really sounded good in my head. <laughs> but anyway, if God is eternal, all-powerful, and absolute, he is the final say. There isn't any place for humanity to come in and say, I think you need to rethink that a little bit, Lord, because you know what? I really think a loving God would be this way. The Jesus I know he should be this way. And God in heaven says, oh my goodness, how much mercy he has towards us. Arrogant humanity that will just wave our hands in the face of God Almighty and saying, your scripture is really not relevant anymore. Is it God who wrote it? Is it the eternal God who's revealing it? Do I need to bow my knee before it? Yes. But with the scriptures today, it's, it's such a free-for-all. Absolute truth claims are thrown out the window. But if you do, do indeed believe it is the word of God, they make perfect sense. For who else could make a truth claim if it weren't God Almighty? Third thing, eternal relevancy. It's almost a slap in the face to the intellect of today to say that I believe a 2,000-year-old book should guide your heart and mind. It would be silly. I think you should get Homer's Odyssey out and have your life run by that. Can you read that archaic book? That makes no sense whatsoever. If the Bible is the eternal revelation of an all-powerful, all-relevant all God, it makes it very, very acceptable, very, very sensible to have that book that was once for all delivered to the saints. Be relevant for all of life. 
if God is outside of eternity and he breaks into it, do you think he's going to say, you know, I'm going to write them a book. I'm going to tell them, but it's only going to help those old people. Once they get smart, 2,000 years later, they might get some wisdom from it, but it's not going to be authoritative to them because I only know how to write a book for one period of time. That's not God. God says, I am going to give a revelation of myself to people that will help them throughout the ages so that the scripture will always be the thing that can change a heart, the thing that can be relevant to the situation when I just lost somebody that I didn't expect to lose, when someone betrayed me and ripped my heart out, when this happened and that happened, that the Bible will come for all time and step on right in and say, here's the answer, here is what you need, and I don't care if it was written 2,000 years ago. It could be 2,000 years from now, and the Bible will have the power of the eternal God always within its pages. When someone trusts and believes in it, something happens. The Spirit works. Things change. Hearts change. Sins are forsaken. Lives are put back together. Relationships are restored. And that isn't because we're wonderful. It's because He is. Because He has given us a glimpse of who he is in his revelation, and he's empowered it. And it brings up the fourth thing. It's life-transforming power. If you're a skeptic today, I invite you to come into conversation about his word. Because I promise you, it can change you from the inside out. How many of you have in your life have just been a horrible stinker at some point, and God saved you? He changed you. And if I heard some of your testimonies, you would get up and say, this is how I was, this is what I thought, this is what I asked, and boom, God came in. And I'm not what I ought to be, but I know I'm not what I was. And God in his word is at work saving and changing his people, not because it's a dry 2,000-year-old book, but because it is the living word of God forever settled in heaven. It is the word that God has said can change you. But you know the hard part comes in, get up in the morning, there's that Bible, and there's my schedule, and there's my ability. That's just, I got stuff to do. Tonight, Lord, the sense of duty. Tonight, I'm going to get into your word. Tonight, I'll read it. You get home, hard day of work. I'm so tired. I can hardly think. So God gets some leftovers barely able to, we're gone. The eternal God has spoken, yet the wonder and awe of it slips away. Now, there's a lot more that I'm going to have to cover later. I'm going to skip ahead a few slides here in the interest of time, but you won't, you'll still get it later, don't worry. Boy, there's a lot I'm skipping. But I, I want to end with this. Hopefully, your attitude between this week and next week towards the scriptures will change. And I want to leave you with kind of an illustration here about really what the word of God is and how to view it. Because if I had said to you before I said anything this morning, I just, what do you think of when you think of the Bible? Whatever that thought would have been, just freeze it for a minute, just have it sit there. And I want to kind of word it this way to give us a little bit of a picture. What if I just told you that I bought a stone house and there's a hole in the backyard that's very interesting? You have a thought in your mind. You have a 
picture in your mind. Stone house, hole in the backyard. Now, I want to challenge whatever imagination you might have, and some of you, that might be it. Like, you think that's interesting? I got a hole in the backyard. It's no big deal. You know, what, what, what's the deal? Now, what if I blew your imagination up a little bit, and it was looking more like that? There's a hole in my backyard in this new stone house I bought, and uh, it's interesting. Now, some of you, like, as soon as you see that, you're going to like, wow, what's in there? What fell in? You know, is, is my dog in there? You know, maybe my cat if I'm lucky. But who knows? You know, all of a sudden interest. I'm sorry. I really made some enemies just then. <laughs> uh, I was just a joke. <laughs> but anyway, the, the whole perks interest. How to get there? Where does it lead? What's it all about? What if that stone house had a little bigger hole in the backyard? My little stone house. Would that be interesting? There is a Bible in your backyard. Is it a hole? Is it a hole? Or is it a hole? Is it grand in what it is and who it reveals? You see, you don't study the Bible to fulfill an obligation, to get a sense of duty. You get it and study it because the person revealed in it is beautiful, because he's glorious, because he's grand. And I can only know him through his word, reliably. Now, he may teach me other ways, and there's other ways of knowing God, but primarily the scripture is the measuring rod for every experience I would ever have, for any other way of knowing him. And, and, and when I come to the scriptures, it is word of God. Speak. Fall down like rain. Fill me. Help me see your beauty. There is no other endeavor in life where the glory of God is revealed like it is in his word. Do I want to know why I'm here? Do I want to have a heart filled with his grace and his goodness? It is his scripture. It is his word. It's a place to study. Not just occasionally pick up, pick a verse. Oh, that's cool. Close it. Share it. Hope someone likes it. No, God says, meet me. Meet me here in pages of my book, and I will tell you who I am. As we have communion today, it's no mistake that we have a Bible here. We are celebrating the revelation of God in his word and through the written word and through the living word of Jesus Christ. He is the one we are remembering because the king of all the universe has said i am knowable you know me and you declare that you know me by participating in this communion together this isn't a dry observance this is a declaration of the king of the universe being remembered in my heart and life and his sacrifice his son has made father help us to see your word as grand and glorious as it is. Father, forgive us for demeaning it, for making it a sense of duty, but Lord, may we seek to find you and know you through the pages of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.